0: This episode of The Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, a monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. You can visit them and sign up at charcoalbookclub.com. So last month's selection was Sorry for the War uh, by Peter Van Achtmiel, and I did just receive that, so I will be doing a little preview of that on the Real Photo Show, Instagram, TV, and YouTube channel. Uh, and Sorry for the War chronicles the disconnect between the United States at war and the wars as they really are. And then this month's selection is Shikawatari by Chico Shirashi, and once again, <laughs> I do hope I'm pronouncing those correctly. I don't get pronunciations guided by a herd of deer, Chiko Shirashi, takes us into the majestic wilderness of Hokkaido. Uh, so, uh, and again, I'll be uh, previewing that book as well. Uh, you can always purchase these books at charcoalbookclub.com, And if you are a member, uh, you get these books automatically. So check that out. Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Irina Rozowski. Uh, but before we get to that, just a few quick announcements. The JKC Gallery's reception for Heather Pelisek Resist Convenience is this Tuesday, March 9th from 4 to 8 p.m. And the reason why it's a four-hour reception is because we're doing it twice. Uh, we're going to have two seatings of nine people, and those are booked. But you can still uh, register for the Zoom link at jkcgallery.online. And there you will also find a 3D virtual version of the show. Uh, so if you can't make it in the next month, uh, you can check it out online. And I, th- you know, my hope is that I can create those 3D virtual galleries for all upcoming shows, because that's the world we live in now. <laughs> all right. So again, my guest today is Irina Rosowski, And we have a wonderful conversation about her work being included in last year's MoMA's New Photography, And also, equally exciting, if not more exciting, uh, we talk about her new book, In Plain Air, published by Mac. And I'll read a little bit from their website. In Plain Air is a lyrical portrait of Brooklyn's Prospect Park as seen through Rozovsky's studies of its visitors, each seeking escape from the din of the city beyond. The seed of the idea for the work was planted 10 years ago when Rozovsky took a small motorboat around the park's southern lake. And that title was just released, and I believe there are signed copies uh, still to be had. Uh, Visit macbooks.co.uk to check that out. In addition to talking about Arena's latest news, we'll also talk about The Humid, which Arena co-founded with Mark Steinmetz, and we'll just talk about uh, how life has been in general for Arena down in Georgia during the time of COVID. So it's a really lovely conversation we have a, a lot of fun towards the end. So, uh, as always, thank you for listening. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon.
1: My name is Irina Rozovsky, and um, I live in Athens, Georgia.
0: Uh, Thank you for doing this. Uh, This is actually um, kind of fun because I know the show I produce for Sasha, Mark just spoke with Sasha, and Mm -hmm. uh, I I sent the recorder, Mark Simets, and I sent the recorder to you. I thought, well, you have the recorder. (laughs) I've wanted to record with you for years. Let's do this. uh,
1: Two birds, one stone, one recorder.
0: (laughs) That's right. How are you?
1: I'm okay. I'm a little blurry, you know, it's a strange strange life these days, but it's all good yeah it's all good and well i
0: i know from some of the back and forth uh you have a child who uh uh doesn't always sleep when <laughs>
1: mm. yes and last night was such an example yes. so <laughs> no, <okay. laughs> if this sounds just dis- incoherent uh bl- blame it on her <laughs> right yeah. you have uh, how old is she she's now? she's almost four yeah
0: oh okay i do i have i have two how old are
1: they uh
0: 13 and nine okay
1: So you're a a survivor. Yeah, that's right.
0: (laughs) Heading into the phase of teenage years, yes. (laughs)
1: Well, you ready?
0: Yeah. Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Come what may. Yeah, exactly. You have a lot of good news right now, right, in your career. I mean, uh, just last year, you were part of the new photography at the Museum of Modern Art for 2020. It's true.
1: (laughs) That much is true.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that that work is part of a, a project you called Miracle Center, mm-hmm. and so uh, I read about the the work. It's it's a concept and it's a place, right? I think I heard you say. I
1: mean, it's more so a concept, but it began with a place.
0: So, but the the photographs are. Uh, a collection of artifacts, right? Objects, things.
1: Yeah, I mean, originally it was um, just photos. You know, when I th- started thinking of that term, it was just photos, and many of them were made with an iPhone. Many of them were made just, you know, inches away from my life or within my life, just in the in the beat of the everyday. And then, um, you know, it was a way of seeing things just taking a tiny step to the left and suddenly everything seemed different and miraculous. And, um, and then I guess the next part of the process was, yeah, they began to become more physical and objects and artifacts, like you say. Um, they started entering these physical frames and ways of being displayed and held and touched and opened, little books.
0: What was the connection, though, to this place? I, I, I thought at one point I heard you call it um. A- an office building in an alley.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's um, the whole long winded story. This doesn't need to, you know, this is just for whoever listens to this is um, (laughs) my family. When we came from, the Soviet Union, we came to a town in Massachusetts called Lynn, it's a city, Lynn, and my parents then moved to, anyway, they still live nearby there, more or less, and every time I go b- by, go back to visit them, I drive through Lynn, and I saw this, um, you know, it's a sort of rough rough area, rough neighborhood, like a formerly um, opulent place that, you know, had a lot of immigrants, and you um, and we were part of that wave. And anyway, in an alley is this tiny little building, a a small door that you would never really notice. And I don't even know how I came upon it. And it says Miracle Center. And it looks like an office building. And I, it was oh. locked. And and um, and um, I started, I research, researched it. I just Googled it. There's one entry for it. And it's like a church that has three participants or three members or, you know, very, very tiny. Everything about it sort of seemed... Beautiful to me, you know that it's this um, holy place in the in the rough in the rough place that I have a lot of um, feelings towards, and um, hmm. that on the outside it looks one way, and then you just have to imagine what's on the inside.
0: And then the work that comes from that, you know, the the, the work that I've seen, there's lots of framed pieces or little frames, kind of a uh, you know family keepsake kind of frames and objects like that. Mm-hmm. And then I I think some of the the photos you left as is, as you found them, and then some you replace with your own work, Mm -hmm. right?
1: In the MoMA show, they were all replaced with my own images. I mean, some of them came empty. You know, I've been collecting these frames and some of them are frames and some of them are these tiny little albums or books or, I mean, they're, they're not lockets, but they sort of, for some reason, we still as a society remember lockets, but these tiny little frames and booklets aren't really thought about so much and um so there's a lot of them out there
0: they were like mantelpiece objects almost right like something you'd put up on a a shelf kind of
1: yeah i mean the ones i've been there's so many out you know you can get you can find those and i have a couple of those that i've collected but most of them are ones that you would put in your pocket or your purse you know they're travel pieces so they're like you know they call them travel frames or travel pocket frames or they're um, some th- actually, they, they have a lot that are for men that you put in your shaving kit if you're traveling. <laughs> so, you know, there you are in, in the sleep, sleepaway town. So it's like, right. The, um, <laughs> the, in New Jersey, you know, the businessman goes into the city and he takes his shaving kit with the f- pictures of his family. <laughs> they're sent they're essentially like the cell phone, you know, with the photo albums, but y- you keep it close to you, you carry it with you. Those are the ones that I was really interested in, but also I am interested in the ones that you would put on your bureau or your mantelpiece, but they're not they themselves are aren't so fabulous. You know, it's um they mm-hmm. They're sort of like the door in the alleyway, like it it's sort of the everyday mundane kind of um common yeah. common thing.
0: And and they remind me of the kind of objects you would find in a flea market. And you make that connection, Uh, flea market, antique shops, places like that, uh, through your mother. Your mother actually ran an antique shop, right?
1: Yeah, she did. She just retired. She just closed it um, last year right before the pandemic. But that was, yeah, that was um, good timing. But um, (laughs) when we came here, she started doing flea markets and then bit by bit um, collected enough stuff to open a store.
0: The work that you did, the the photos you decided to put in these pieces, it was centered around family, right? Or home, wasn't it?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't think so because you don't see any... There aren't really faces, and I think the only faces you see are strangers, and um, it's hard to tell. But I guess they're they're all made really close. You know, they're all made here, Mm -hmm. and they're they're all made kind of like from my veins, but it's um, (laughs) they're no... They're not the family pictures that you would expect to be no, right, exhibited right. in were, a
0: frame. Or, it, it felt yeah. more like traces and evidence and playing with the idea of the, the, the meaningfulness, the truthfulness of, of a family album, right? A family mm-hmm. portrait. I think you had uh, Mark's shoes and glasses in, a, in one set, and that was a reference to the idea of presence without seeing the person.
1: Yeah, exactly, and how you remember somebody or live with somebody. And also what a, what a portrait can do or fail to do. You know, what a picture of a person's right. face tries to do, but maybe yeah. fails.
0: So um, the other good news, of course, is you have a book that any day now is going to be available. In Plain Air?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Um... It's true. I don't know. I think it's available here and there. It's sort of like creeping up into, (laughs) boiling up, bubbling up into existence. Um, Maybe more so in Europe, but yeah, it's out there.
0: Yeah. Well, was it printed in England? It was printed in Italy.
1: Oh, in Italy. Okay. And I just big shout out to the most brave, incredible person through all this is Morgan, who is the designer um, at Mac and she went to England to print it and it's... That's, is that the train. The train. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, that's great. That might be our first train on air.
1: <laughs> oh, it's actually probably not even a train. It's like a
0: It's, like a, warning. it's like a
1: utility. Do you want me to mute this?
0: <laughs> not at all. You, you like, you like I love this it.
1: <laughs> this, they really want to be known. They're coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, Mac is the publishing house? Yes. And and so the and then the it was actually printed in Italy. Yes. Yeah. And you were talking about the designer, Morgan?
1: Morgan. Yeah, she's a designer and then she goes on press. And because of COVID, no, none of the photographers have been able to go on press. So she was doing the colors and um, in their place instead of them. Yeah, it was, I guess, up until the very last moment, she didn't know if they were going to let her in and
0: oh, wow. or let her
1: out. So it was kind of a feat.
0: This is work you actually made when you were living in Brooklyn of Prospect Park, uh, particularly the the lake, right? Mhm. And For the uh the most
1: part not yeah. not entirely but rooted there. Yeah.
0: I know I know part of it is you were actually on a a little boat, right?
1: <laughs> it's sort of where it, where the idea was born. Yeah.
0: It's photographs and I I, I you know I, there's a I think a, a thread that runs through your work in the in the way you photograph a place. Uh, you know, when I when I look at the work and and you know the projects like um this Russia, and One to Nothing, in Plain Air, Island in My Mind. It reads to me as, as the kind of work you make when you're walking around, you're exploring, and you, you see things, you notice things, and then you, you set up the, the stage and the landscape. And then in, to, in the totality, it feels like a real kind of uh, um, exploration uh, and a, a mix of sort of knowing something and being surprised by something at the same time,
1: yeah, I think that's a that's a very accurate description. There's definitely moving through a place you know mm-hmm. or wanting to find something out about it or yeah, it's always led by some supposition or is that a question yeah. sorry, but like some sort of hints
0: right right. and there's there's real humanity in that work is you know, and re- throw the, uh, some humanity in there, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it was um is the title a, a play on en plein air the the idea of experiencing out in the open?
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, I was thinking of. I mean, it's hard not to think about it, of that time period that the park was built in, and the the art movements around that time, in, in plein mm-hmm. air painting, and that Olmsted probably was thinking the same thing. You know, how to create oh, something yeah. so picturesque that it resembles art.
0: Right. I'm sure Olmsted had Im- impressionism in his mind. Sure.
1: Yeah. And, um, yeah and theatricality probably you know that a place like a stage
0: and and sure how how light would filter through that landscaping all those things yeah yeah so you know
1: the greatest um i'm just the recorder he you know he's the kind of the artist behind it all
0: (laughs) so you know along those lines of you know you not being able to be on press and things like that um have you talked about how you will promote the book will you wait to do book signings or is it all going to be virtual
1: I'm actually kind of relieved you know I um, it's, it's hard <laughs> for me to do the self-promotional stuff so I'm I'm actually like kind of grateful that there are no big um, ceremonies and that it's it's all been pre-signed you know they sent 800 photographs to sign that they glued in. So, I, oh right, yeah. In right. terms of promotion, I think well, there's some press. There's some there's some stuff coming out that they're going to time, and I think maybe another talk, um, doing a talk with Aperture. So, but no, I don't know if there's like a big reveal these days. I don't know if big reveal is possible these days, you know, with the
0: right and and you know this this life of of having shows and being in galleries and all and book signings and things like that has been put on pause and hold and and all. And you are the co-founder of The Humid, right? Yeah, Mark and I um, created The Humid, so
1: yeah, we co-founded The hu- the Humid. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there it is again, oh, yeah. the train. <laughs> I'm sorry, this must be such a distraction.
0: It's not as much distraction as many other, you know, like, it's been <laughs> it's recording not, like this, recording virtually. It's not an ambulance,
1: right. yeah. right. I wish you if, could see this. It's... I'm going to show this to you, Michael.
0: Okay, good. Okay, uh, it's, a very, it's like a
1: very short, bright yellow train that... It looks Wait, did, up it, like did it did it go by and come back again? It just came from the other side. <laughs> it's some sort of joke.
0: It's like it's out of a cartoon. It's a that's right. That's yeah. <laughs> very funny. <laughs> but um, how has it been going with the humid? Because I know, I mean, you do. So you do you do workshops with the humid, and what have you been doing?
1: Well, okay, the that? whole the the little backstory. Two step is that um, I was in Boston teaching full time at MassArt and I loved it. And um, Mark said, "Oh, it's you know we got to move down to Georgia." And I said, "How? Oh, you know I have this posse of people that I love and I I I need that human interaction, you know." And I just pictured myself being very um, cut off or isolated, mm-hmm. or you know. And so you know, we found this space and space is cheap here and we said, okay, we'll do these workshops. And it seems sort of far-fetched, but here it is, you know, and I think, so we've had workshops, we've had artist talks here and book signings. And um, yeah, people, it's been amazing. People, before COVID, people came from from Canada. Someone was going to come from the DR. People were, came from all over, all around the country from California. They were just flying to Atlanta and then wind up here. And we we'd start things off with like coffee and, <laughs> um, pastries in the morning and spread out the pictures and it, it was real you know it was like some of the most exciting learning moments and then through covid it's actually been strangely better because it's more global you know and we have this crazy um connection with people now in iceland that never you know i don't we m- met so many good photographers yeah. in different places new zealand australia it's true I love that place and um and it's just amazing, you know. I'm not trying to advertise yeah. it. It's just been kind of interesting that way. I, I wonder if we'll ever meet face to face. I hope so, but <laughs> it's kind of a well. I
0: so I do um I host a virtual talk through the gallery I run in Trenton, and every third Thursday, and exactly the same thing. You know, uh, when we before COVID. We'd have you know 20, 30 people show up in yes. the gallery, and and they were all people who could be there rather quickly, yes. so, so regional people, right? Yeah. Or, or you know, if the artists were there, maybe they'd bring some people down from New York or up from Philly or something like that. But that's it. and since the since we've been doing it virtually it's it's been international, right right? right. Yeah. I think what I'd like to do is sort of always have the virtual component mm-hmm. like host it again inside the gallery, but then always have it run. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you want as it well. both
1: ways. You I want, do. You want it all. I do.
0: So we we could have one guest who's on the giant TV behind us, one guest in the gallery, yeah. and have the whole thing still go over Zoom. Sure. Yeah.
1: Sure. I mean, I think then then the, maybe the people on Zoom feel a little bit left out because they're not physically there. You know.
0: Yeah, but if they if they live 100 miles. No,
1: it's away. true. Then they
0: <laughs> yeah they're probably excited about it. Plus, there's probably a lot of people like you who'd rather stay home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm not like a, I would probably show up eventually, right. you know, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be the first one knocking on the door. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's, so then it's actually been going okay. Uh, the human it's been great uh, in this virtual it's, world.
1: Um, I mean, it could be it could be better, you know. If I I, I just feel mm-hmm. sort of divided. Like I wish I had more. I wish I had more time for my child. I wish I had more time for my work. I wish I had more time for the human. And, um, so I feel Mm -hmm. a little split and, but Mark's been doing most of the teaching these days because I'm also teaching in the Hartford program since September. So I just kind of want to concentrate. I don't want to spread thin. So I've been doing more kind of, uh, like administrative stuff for the humid.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: But we're planning some future things and my, I really like teaching with Mark. I think we're, we're kind of, I don't know, it's kind of fun together so, we've taught a couple workshops side by side, so maybe we'll do more in the future, but I think he's going to do one by himself. And I'm you know, trying to plan some stuff with other people to bring them in.
0: When you are both teaching, how do you um, uh, sort of split it up? Like, where, uh, like, how do you see what you teach as different? You know, like mm-hmm. what? Um, <laughs> <I'm>
1: like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, how do I open these pictures on the screen? <laughs> so, I'm kind of like the tech assistant. Um, but no, I mean, okay, well, like, just in all honesty, like, you know, I, I learned about Mark through his work. So, but I, you know, so what, what he says about photographs is never endingly um, interesting to me. But I also see where we differ and what, mm-hmm. where I see something differently than he does. And um, I think I have less patience. And I think that might be helpful to some students, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I just kind of need to move faster. When looking at photographs or something, um, I do more editing. Like I have to kind of, I'm like the squirrel that's going through things. (laughs) You know, he can really focus on an image and dissect it and articulate things that I can't. But Mm -hmm. like I I need to shuffle things. So I'm always like the shuffling the cards and rearranging (laughs) things. And I think maybe putting things in relation to each other. And he he sort of can grasp the kind of underlying motivation for a project.
0: And do you see when you're looking at your guests' work, do you see kind of philosophical difference in the way you talk about the work?
1: Hmm, That's a good question, actually. Philosophical difference? No, I think at heart we're moved by similar things. And I, you know, sooner or later, we kind of see things, are attracted to the same things for similar reasons. But I don't know, I I think we're good at convincing each other. That there's kind hmm. of a merit in something that originally, mm-hmm. you know, we, we just go about it differently. So I would say actually, no, we're, I think we're at heart kind of on the same page. We just don't flip to that page immediately. <laughs> yeah.
0: do, do you ever find yourself maybe a little more open to more conceptual practice or anything I think like so.
1: That? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. I mean, I just have more of a, I don't know, promiscuity in photography. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, he's running the he's he's running the road like you know because he's pulling out pictures from when he was twenty, you know, and they're they're still him. It's him. Right. I think if I pull out pictures from when I'm twenty, okay, it's still me, but I've also departed. I think, or I'm always right. I'm always trying or hoping to. Look. I get bored more quickly. So,
0: <laughs> is is your work in in somewhat in. Not chronological order, but maybe a little bit early to to later uh, on your website from This Russia to Mountain Black Heart. You
1: know, Michael, I haven't been on that website for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, this Russia is probably the earliest thing on there. I don't know what else right. is on there.
0: But so, yeah, This Russia, One to Nothing, In Plain Air, Island In My Mind, To See Your Face, A Rock That Floats, and mountain, mountain Black Heart. I mean, I, do, I, I think there are changes in the work from, you know... This Russia to a rock that floats, right? Or or mountain yes. mountain black heart. Um, but things overlap the, too, you
1: know. It's I mm-hmm. like you know you know about this. I mean, in your own work, and it's you know I personally don't switch gears and stop something and start something. So everything's sort of overlapping. I mean, the the trips, like the the Russian pictures and Israel and Cuba, those are kind of discrete moments in time. So that's easier. But yeah, otherwise. Things are sort of loose and then just kind of yeah. grabbing them into clusters.
0: You know, one of the things I really appreciate about the work from Cuba and and somewhat the work from Israel, I think it's less noticeable because there's less work done in Israel, I think. But the, the work from Cuba, it's so non-cliché. I mean, it's so it's so interesting and different from most of the photography you see come out of Cuba. Hmm. Uh, You know, it, it, and the way we were talking about that exploration of getting to know a place and being sort of knowing and being surprised at the same time, Mm -hmm. that idea, I think, I think that's very much in that work. And it, it, um, you know, it it doesn't, well, I don't want to say what it doesn't do, but I just think it's not, you can say it. (laughs) I want to know, you know, when you see work coming out of Cuba, what do you see? You see the bright colors and the old cars and the, you know, the the big uh, blue wall uh, the, uh, on the, the shipping, ocean, you know, yeah. that kind of, yeah, yeah. And so it's not that, right? It, it, the work feels uh, much more like a, I mean, you're you're not from Cuba, right? And and there's still uh, the idea of being a visitor, right? Mm-hmm. Of being a guest in a place. But it feels like a, a, a much more honest sort of way to explore a place
1: you know it's just funny i really appreciate that and um i like the way you read things no i really do it's like it's not pretentious but it's very deep so i you just said i'm not from cuba (laughs) i almost took it like an insult like i know i'm not from cuba (laughs) i've been there two times (laughs) a very close friend rosemary cromwell she's essentially from cuba because she spent so much time there and her book is over the course of 10 Mm -hmm. years I know I'm not from Cuba, but right when you said that, I was like, "What? Like how <laughs> could I am?" So like part of me is, I kind of beg to disagree. You know, I mean, what does it mean to be from somewhere? And you know, I felt very actually okay. Yes, I'm a, I'm a total foreigner. I don't belong, but. I kind of, I could feel sort of how I I really related and I could kind of understand you know I come from the Soviet Union my everything I know about the Soviet Union like the way the politics and society work on a group of people and a family on an individual I saw like bouncing off the wall of those chipped painted walls you know of that place oh so that's
0: what and and that's probably why the work feels more authentic right it was it was it wasn't. It wasn't that you were trying to pass yourself off as being Cuban, but mm. you related. You had the experience of of a country that's somewhere across between socialism and capitalism yes. and communism and, yes. and all the politics that comes with all of that. Right? You know,
1: we were talking about like the whole virtual connection of how you can be in one place and talk to someone across the world. And I remembered when my father would like, you know, he told me about being a kid in Moscow and, you know, the 60s. And he would, like, take an atlas, you know, oh, I was looking at an atlas, and like, what's it? Because you couldn't leave the country. And he's <laughs> looking at the atlas and, like, what's it like to be in all these different places? Like, just totally traveling in his mind. And then um, listening to the BBC in secret, you know, like, on the radio, hmm. and you're, like, undercovers, and you've got, like, the aluminum um, antenna, the, you know, tinfoil antenna trying to, like, buzz into these airwaves from the free world, And I felt that in Cuba, even though it was like 2012, you know, and you think the world works one way and then you pop across a border and it's actually, you know, I remember this instant and I always talk about it like I wrote an email to someone that I met there and he, next time I went back, he came to me, I saw him again. He came to me with this folded up piece of paper that was clearly like folded and unfolded so many times. And it was like a letter. It, but it was mm. my email transcribed as a letter that someone who, oh. some, you know, someone in the neighborhood has an email account, and all the emails that are received to all the neighbors, they write on a piece of paper and then go deliver it to them, and so he's like, and so you wrote me on, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? The-
1: <laughs> it is so many layers of,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, you you had that empathy and and identifying with you know this culture, right? That you brought to that work, I'm wondering if because you studied uh, what French and Spanish literature at Tufts, yeah, does that what was were there particular uh, periods in history from that literature that you were studying? Was it more of a a language study?
1: Uh, Yeah, it was. I mean, it was mostly for me like being able to. I I studied in uh, I lived in Madrid for a while and then a little bit in France, so tell you the truth, I mean, I, and I read a lot of books and plays and, and films. It was, um, the exact name of that major was International Letters and Visual Studies. So it was mm. film, it was art and literature. And it was, I mean, like just the most, wow, like entitled, privileged, like amazing way to spend a couple <laughs> years just to read books. and. But for me, the, the core of it was being able to, I think, like integrate, you know, to just go to Madrid and sort of slip in. And I didn't realize that at the time I thought I was, you know, pursuing this literary major. But in terms of, I, I don't think I focused on any particular time period. Maybe more like 20th century, probably more 20th century, I would mm. say, in Spanish and then earlier 18th, 19th century in French literature.
0: So that experience and, and being born in Moscow and, and living most of your life in the United States and... Um, maybe that is also part of why you can travel to places and, and, like you said, sort of slip in, right? Like feel comfortable enough to, to wander and explore and not sort of feel the, um, the pressure of, of being considered an outsider or maybe it, it gives you a way to, to interact and, and introduce yourself to people where you don't have apprehension.
1: Yeah, I think the, you know, it's the, maybe it's by now kind of cliched, but Arbus, what did she say? Camera is a license or a ticket. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't be able to do that without a camera, I don't think. I mean, though, I've yeah. been in situations where I'm like, wow, I really feel different, but it doesn't really bother me. I don't go as far as some other people and photographers. Um, I don't think there's a braveness to it. It's just, a, I guess, Curiosity and also knowing that you can leave. That mm. I that I can leave, you know.
0: Um, right. You're um you're on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Yabliko? How do you say it? Yablika. Oh, okay. Yablika.
1: It means Apple in Russian. Does you it?
0: Know? You know, your your work, of course, and, and your your life and photography predates social media and all. When and you're a teacher, and so you know, as, as teachers, um, you know, we get to see how technology and invention affects our students and affects the the way people think about photography over time, having lived before social media. Um, have you given any thought to that? And does that come up at all when you're doing classes or, or workshops at the Humid? Do you talk about the impact or influence of social media on what people think is good photography or how people present their work?
1: Yeah, you know, I had... um. A friend in Boston, Jose Falcone, and he was a part-time photographer. And he, this was maybe like 2010, maybe even a little earlier. And he said, you know, this was at the start. I don't think I was photographing an iPhone at that. I didn't have an iPhone. I think it was just like a little tiny old flip phone that maybe could take a picture here and there, but nothing right. to really sink your teeth into. <laughs> you would, you into. would laugh was at like, it now
0: if you saw the yeah. those photos. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, I remember seeing an iPhone around that time for the first time someone had and they were like poking the screen and it just looked totally perverse. You know, like <laughs> ridiculous. But... Um, and I remember he was like, oh, you know, with the, what do you think is going to happen to photography with these tiny little seeing pictures on a screen, tiny little pictures? Do you think it's going to be more about composition? Like, is it going to change the way we value or consider good photography versus bad photography? And I, I thought it was ridiculous because I thought a good picture is the same. Big or small doesn't matter and how you make it doesn't matter. But yeah, I mean, so much of the images we take are dictated by the, the phones, you know, what a it, the phone's basically... And
0: the platforms. And the yeah. platforms
1: that we put them out. And yeah, I think Instagram is sort of corrupt in the way they're trying to market everything to us. You know, I mean, that's all a value judgment, but I still think there's something beautiful about pictures. And it's one way to see pictures. I think there's a hell of a lot of them on there. Tim Barber, I think, is maybe... I don't know if you ever looked at Tiny Vices back in the day.
0: Oh yeah, that sounds so familiar. It's not yeah.
1: online anymore. It's impossible to find. Oh, okay. But it was sort of like the precedent oh, yeah. because he would get all these submissions and you know the, they're kind of the mostly snapshots.
0: Mhm.
1: But it was like pre-digital snapshots and yeah, like maybe 20 2000 starting 2003, I guess 2004, and I I was so astounded by how he would piece different people's pictures together into these streams. And I remember he, in a talk, he said, someone said, well, when you see so many pictures, do you feel like you're drowning in the sea of photographs? Hmm. And he said, no, actually, it helps you understand what a good, the more you see, the more you understand what a good photo is. So that's always sort of in the back of my mind, you know.
0: I know people talk about how there's just so much out there, and there is. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's, that's almost, I would say, you know, for the past 30 years, photography's, Always had that reputation, right? Mm-hmm. That there's, uh, I think, Tchaikovsky once said, "There's more photographs than bricks," and that was in what seventy three mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so, so it's it's always had that. You know, there's there are things that are inherent to photography that are still there, right? It's still the same. It's the ubiquity, it's the multi purpose, and all the different uses, and also the in, enormous quantity of photographs and the ability of anyone to make to them, take a photo, to make them exactly. So. So that that's that's always been there, and and now we it is a bit you know on steroids with social media and and it uh, but social media it, it that's not a a photography problem that's a an information attention span um, psychological you know, issue exactly exactly yeah so it's not I I don't see it as a problem for photography as much as that right, right? being a problem for people
1: <laughs> yeah you know what's really strange about it is where your mind what's confusing about it as a platform is. And I don't think at this point you can separate it anymore is where it's a photo and you're interested in the photo. And then two seconds later, you're interested in who's in the photo and what are they doing mm. and who are they with <laughs> and what is their life like and what did they do yesterday? You know, where like kind of the documentary curiosity comes from. And then the, and then that puts you down the whole rabbit hole of where the problems come in, you know, where it com- becomes for teenagers like a question of security or insecurity like so-and-so's hanging out with this person or they have more money to buy this stuff you know and that's really unfortunate i think but i don't think we can separate it anymore you know if it was just a platform like tiny vices of interesting pictures (laughs) taken from one's life distilled and then Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um but now i think that's the part that and i find myself wasting time for no reason you know where Becomes like gossip like image gossip uh, chatter yeah yeah
0: yeah they it's uh, the the comments and the everything else that you could get lost in, in as well um, what haven't uh let's see what did I miss that's going on in your world in your life right now uh, we got the <laughs> the book, we got MoMA we got uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the humid you're still represented by Claxton projects mm-hmm. here in New York
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah Tom Claxton.
0: So, you know, when we, we spoke a little bit about your mother and, and the flea markets and the antique shops and that that sort of experience that worked its way into, into Miracle Center, but um, I don't know um, anything about your father and, and your influence of what he did, his work. Um, oh, Michael, thank you for occur. asking.
1: I think that's, um, like, just very kind question because... But my dad actually was, like, the person responsible for getting me into photography. and Oh. Yeah. Um, got me the first little point-and-shoot plastic camera. And we went on a little photo expedition. I must have been, like, 10 or 11. And, um, like, just has been the most steady hand on my back, you know. Hmm. But he um, he also just retired and has been in... He was in computer sales, um, but I always wished he had been a, I don't know, teacher or po- mm. poet, unrealized poet, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah.
0: Well, I know often when people emigrate from places with more sort of, uh, I don't know, restrictive or totalitarian uh, yeah. regimes, have to switch professions, yes. Uh, right? Yes. Or and, and what what did your father do before he was in computers? Then? When well, he was in, he was in uh,
1: Moscow. He was in. Um, an electrical engineer in Russia I mean I guess at that point all Jews had to be one engineer over another you know some sort of engineer was what you had to be and and then he came here and got an MBA um, to you know the the goal was to just be able to provide for the family um, Mm -hmm. to get on on your feet but I remember when we were coming here he was like I'll do anything as long as it's in America I'll be a truck driver or a janitor as long as it's in America right Um, that was the America of yesteryear.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, um, so I don't, it doesn't sound like I missed anything.
1: <laughs> no, this is really thorough and very, um, yeah, like natural course of discussion. Oh, great. Of discussion. Well, thank you. Was, I really appreciate it, was, it. Thank you for having me. It was really nice here. seeing you. You too. Yeah. It's a little surreal, I'll tell you. It's like very hard. <laughs> I know, This, right? is, this <laughs> is not like having a cup of tea together, but... It's, it's I yeah, nice.
0: it's it's different, you know. Where the I think one thing we will learn, um, especially with our kids who were who have been uh, learning online, is it's going to change behavior a little bit, right? There's it could be good. Like this, this is going to open up pathways where they're able to receive information and learn and do things mm-hmm. in, in a different way, a new way, and, and maybe this is preparing them right oh, yeah. for their future for more flexibility, you know, more. More, yeah, more flexibility in in being virtual and being in person. And do you think it's going to you know, have an effect on
1: how they are in person?
0: I think so. Yeah, I think it's I think it's been heading that way with devices and screen time and all that kind of stuff. But this was you know they had to be on right like all the all the restrictions went out the window yeah. right like yeah. uh, okay computer time is up like no I man, wonder it's if not. now
1: they don't <laughs> want to be on screen time anymore they're just so goddamn <laughs> sick of it
0: I think uh, <laughs> get this I think out some here. of here let
1: me go outside. <laughs>
0: Every time, you know, I think every time my kids hear that their school is closing again because of COVID cases, they're like, ugh, you know. So, oh, yeah. yeah, they want to be in school. So, yeah. 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 Well,
1: actually, you know, it's funny because our, our kid was extremely shy. I know she's just a toddler. But before COVID, she would never in a million years say anything to a stranger. And now, and I was so worried that, you know, because of the isolation, you know, she's going to be just a hermit. But she is just Miss. <laughs> miss uh personality now you know like <laughs> i've got this little cat and da, da, da. she's got a stuffed animal cat and she just thinks everyone in the world must know about this What's, cat that's right <laughs> oh good yeah
0: that's good so it's, yeah. it's good that
1: there's some surprising yes yep. <laughs> developments
0: well this has been lovely thank, thank you. you again thank you so much bye everyone bye, bye. Real Photo Show with Michael Chauvin-Dalton is a production of Real Photo Show, which you can listen to on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.